to this week's chapter recap here with Bible Discovery and Bible Discovery TV. We're reading through the Bible in a year and our assigned reading this week was 2 Samuel chapter 8 to 1 Kings chapter 7. So we're going to go over all of the biblical material that is in there. Now, my name is Corey and I'm here with my husband, Matlock. Hey. How you hey, doing? Good. Hey. Everything's good. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> of course. Anytime. Yeah. All right. Well, there is a lot, a lot of biblical history to cover in this week. So you ready? Yes. You ready? All right. Another long see. one? Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see how uh, how succinctly we can get, get right. through this. Okay. Second Samuel chapter 8. Eight. So at this point in the scripture, David is finally king over all of Israel, not just over Judah. And so in chapter eight, there's a record of David's military accomplishments and how he managed to get a lot of wealth stored up uh, to build the future temple. So remember in last week's recap, we talked about how David wanted to build a temple for God, but God said, nope. You're a man of war. Uh, it's going to be your son who builds a temple for me. So David did what he could. He he got together wealth and precious metals and 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 materials for the building of the temple to kind of tease Solomon up his his later son in order to to do this. Right. So there's also a record of David's highest officials within his government and military. And then Second Samuel chapter nine, we have uh, David the record of David honoring Mephibosheth. So remember, Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan. So it's Saul's grandson. Um, and David gives Mephibosheth all of Saul's land, and he has Mephibosheth live in Jerusalem and eat at David's table with all the king's sons. So essentially, he treats him as if he were his own son. Right. Um, Second Samuel chapter 10 we have this record of the king of Ammon dying. And we're told that David actually had a working relationship with the king of Ammon. They were on good terms. So David sends an envoy of Israelites to the Ammonites, to the new king of Ammon, uh, to extend peace and to, and to continue this allyship into the future. But the new king of Ammon thinks that this is a ploy to overthrow him or overtake him in some way. And so he humiliates this delegation of, of David. David is not going to stand for that. So he sends Joab, the commander of his army and the Israelite army to fight against Ammon. And we get to see in this chapter how good of a military commander Joab actually was because he had to fight on two separate battlefronts, but he still he still wins the battle. Um, and we also get a record of David leading a battle against the Arameans. Mm. All right. Second, Second Samuel chapter 11, we get what happened during that battle with Ammon in Jerusalem, and it's not good. So we're told that David did not go fight the battle with Joab against this new king of Ammon. Instead, he stayed back in Jerusalem. And this is when he commits adultery with Bathsheba. He uses her, um, he uses his position of authority and power to mistreat her. Um, David knew that Bathsheba was one of the wives that she Uriah. was married yeah. to Uriah, who was one of David's mighty men, one of David's mm. elite fighters that was dedicated to David. Uh, and David had just sent him into battle against one of David's enemies. But knowing this, David chooses to sleep with Bathsheba anyway. 
when Bathsheba sends a message to David, letting him know that she's pregnant, instead of owning up to his mistake, David calls Uriah back from the from the front lines and he encourages him, go enjoy your wife, spend a few days with her, uh, have, have a relaxing time and then go back to the battle. This is your reward because you're so faithful to me. And um, Uriah is like, no, I, I can't do that. My brothers are fighting. Yeah. I, I'm not going to do that. Uh, so we see him being way more righteous than David here. Yeah. Um, so David's like, all right, well, I can't hide the pregnancy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send Uriah back to the battlefront with a, with a secret message for Joab, telling Joab to put Uriah in the front lines and then retreat, but leave Uriah there. So make sure Uriah dies in battle, yeah. essentially. And that this is like the the final straw essentially for David's moral decline. Like this is yeah. it. It has been slowly happening over the course of yeah. of Second for Samuel. Yeah. And then we get uh then we get to here, and this is it. Like David has completely fallen, and he can't even see. This is what we're talking about with the judges. Like he's kind of he's being a hypocrite, but he can't even see that he's a hypocrite. No, he he's just covering up covering up his bad behavior right. over and over and over. Right, and he's being dishonest with himself. He's self-deceived at this point, mm-hmm. too, right? So it's not like he he could see the wrong, mm-hmm. but he's like willfully choosing not to because mm-hmm. uh, he knows he can polish it up being the king. Yeah. He's, right? he's, he's letting power get to his head. But yeah. anyways, yeah. So then Joab, not knowing why, David doesn't send a reason why he wants Joab to abandon Uriah. So Joab, not knowing why, he he goes through with it and Uriah dies in battle. Once Bathsheba is finished mourning for Uriah, David marries her as his, I can't I can't even remember what number wife yeah. he's on. Seven, um, seven or eight. Um, and then verse 27 says, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Yes. Quite obviously. Yeah. Quite obviously. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Nathan the prophet comes to David and rebukes him. David accepts the rebuke. And then there's a prediction of Absalom's rebellion as a result of David's sin uh, in this chapter, which is really interesting. Uh, You know, Nathan says, the sword will never leave your house. The son who had just been born will die. Um, And Bathsheba ends up having another son with David later on that they name Solomon, but that's not God's name for this child. God's name is Jedidiah for Solomon. Um, We're told that we're told also of the capture of the city of Rabbah of the Ammonites. Um, And they, they end up becoming physical laborers for Israel. So in other words, they had to pay tribute to Israel and David with bricks and other goods and building materials and things like that. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 13. So now we're seeing the result of moral decline in David's family. Mm. We're going to see the results of his failures, but they're trickling down into his children. So Amnon, the firstborn son of David and and probably the crowned prince of Israel, um, or at least the heir apparent, so who's obviously next in line to become the crown prince, he rapes his half-sister, whose name is Tamar. Um, And Tamar is the daughter of David by the Geshurite princess Mm -hmm. that he had married. So this is a double royal woman Mm. that Amnon rapes. Um, Absalom, who's Tamar's full brother and David's third-born son, comforts Tamar and brings her to live with him him in his household. Um, 
So David was furious. The Bible records that David was furious that this happened, but apparently nothing was done. He No reparations of any kind were made. Amnon was not punished or anything. Right. He stayed the heir apparent. And Tamar, on the other hand, lost her reputation. She lost her job, her family status, and her home. Right. Um, now, when I say job, that kind of references back to um, hypothesis about what the role of David's daughter daughters were, because we're told that Tamar was wearing the clothing of the king's virgin daughters, which is called right. an ornate robe. Like a robe of many colors, like Joseph. Yes, right. exactly. It's the exact same word that is used for Joseph's robe of many colors in Genesis. So what does that mean? Me. Yeah, tell me. Yeah. So the idea here is that this robe signified uh, political importance. Right. So what David was probably doing as a king, because he, David was making allegiances by marrying foreign women and marrying women from other tribes, for example, like the Geshurite princess, mm -hmm. to create alliances. David was also probably marrying out his daughters as ambassadors of Israel and making right. treaties with other nations based off of the um, marriage arrangements. Right. Now, we know that happened in other societies. We're not explicitly told that David was doing that. But because of this ornate robe of many colors that David's virgin daughters wore, that's probably what this signifies, right. is that they had a status of, I will one day become an ambassador of Israel by being married into another cool. royal family. Right. Yeah. So she lost that um, as a result of this. So two years later. Not cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But two years later, Absalom has Amnon, the rapist, killed. Yes. And then he knows that now David's going to kill him. So he flees back to his mother's ancestral home, which is the land of Gesher, to his maternal grandfather, who is still the king right. of Gesher. Um, and David. After David mourns, he does a more proper mourning period for Amnon. He finds himself wanting his son Absalom back in Israel. Now, either we're not really sure if this was emotional or political that David wanted Absalom back. Because remember, Absalom and Absalom's mother represented the alliance that Israel had with Gesher. Right. So the fact that Absalom had to flee from David's court and hide in Gesher means that David could no longer count on the allyship of Gesher right. if they went into warfare. So either David understood Absalom's reasoning and he really loved his son and he wanted him back, or David didn't want to lose his peace treaty with the Gesherites. Well, I, so I think you can have both. The difference being that one prioritizes over the other. Right. And based on his emotional response later, I think it's the, the latter. The emotional response, I think, is a big factor. Although I don't, I'm not going to dismiss the political. Yeah. That has it to cross your mind. It could totally it could be, both. be both. I just think that everyone has a value structure. Yeah. I think David always values people more. Well, his family more. Well, Actually, they're not all people. Like, eh, <laughs> but his family more. So that's what I, I, that, that would be my point there, especially because later on how he feels when that Absalom does die. Right. Right. Yes, it, yes, entirely plausible that it is both. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 14. So Joab, the commander of Israel's army and David's nephew, sets up this false scenario uh, 
in order to convince David that it's okay to bring Absalom back from Gesher. Like, it's going to be okay. And David realizes that Joab is right. So he brings Absalom, he, he invites Absalom back to Jerusalem, but Absalom is not allowed to see David. So it's still a pseudo banishment. You can come back to Jerusalem, but you can never have an audience with the king, but you can live in your own Jerusalem house. Absalom puts up with this for two years and then he demands an audience with Joab and David, like to the point where he's asking to see Joab, he's asking to see David. They're like, no, 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 they're ignoring him. And so he does something pretty drastic to Joab's territory, uh, ancestral territory. And he ends up being granted an audience with David and he is forgiven. Mm. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 15. I wish that I could say that this family reunion was genuine and great, but Absalom, the son of David, begins spreading seeds of doubt um, in the community about the ability of David to lead Israel as its king. So Absalom is acting lovingly towards all the people coming to Jerusalem so that they love him. He's charming them. He's He's, winning their hearts. He's wooing the people of Israel and Jerusalem, which apparently he's also very handsome. So like this, he's he's charismatic. He's handsome. He he like uh, supposedly loves justice. He's a double prince at this point. He's got the he's got the Geshurites and the Israelites, right? right? Uh, The people begin to love him. So. Four years into this, Absalom hosts a gathering at Hebron, and he declares himself king. Uh, So David, David's immediate family, his top officials, his bodyguards, and an attachment of Philistine soldiers and their families who are loyal to David, they run from Jerusalem to the wilderness. So this lets us know that Absalom's rebellion against David really worked. The people were for Absalom. David only had a loyal chunk of people uh, and they had to leave. They knew they couldn't win. So um, we're told of some of the priests and people who were loyal to David, that David's like, no, you need to go back and pretend to be loyal to Absalom so that we have eyes and ears in the city. Right. Chapter 16. A servant of Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, whose name is Ziba, he tells David that Mephibosheth is not loyal to David. And as a result, David, who's super angry, grants all of Mephibosheth's land Mm -hmm. to Ziba. Mm. Um, Shimei, who is a relative of dead King Saul, he's cursing David as David's leaving. He's saying that God's done this because David is a murderer. And I mean... Shimei is not entirely wrong. David is a murderer, but this is a really nasty time to kick David when he's down. And David's response is very interesting. He responds to him, you might be right. Um, And he won't, David won't let his men kill Shimei. That's right. He says, leave him alone and let him curse for the Lord has told him to. Yeah. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me. And the Lord will repay me with mm-hmm. good for his cursing today. Exactly. So David's like, we'll see. Maybe he's right. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're also told that Absalom goes to David's Jerusalem palace and he sleeps with David's concubines that David had left in the palace in order to secure the rebellion. So basically there is absolutely no going back from this. Absalom has claimed this harem for his own. Yeah. And he's like, I am king now. 
Yeah. This it, this can't be repaired. Second Samuel chapter 17. Um, there is an advisor who's loyal to Absalom. His name is Ahithophel, and he's giving really good advice to Absalom. He advises Absalom, you need to immediately send people after David because David and his whole league, they're going to be tired. So you need to just send men right now to assassinate David. Um, And if you assassinate David, but you leave all the people loyal to him, you're going to gain their hearts because no one can deny that David has done some really shady stuff right now. Um, But there's and there's also an advisor who's secretly loyal to David, and he's giving Absalom bad advice. And his name is Hushai. He advises Absalom instead, just wait, gather all of Israel, solidify them together, and then have a huge manhunt for David. Mm-hmm. Don't do this right now. First solidify um, your support base. Absalom chooses the bad advice to listen to. Um, and the spies send word to David about it. Now, Ahithophel, who's giving the good advice, the good advisor, at this point, he knows that his days are numbered. He knows a conspiracy when he sees one. He knows that David is going to get the kingship back and he's probably going to be publicly executed. So he ends up committing suicide Right. right then and there. Absalom and the army of Israel eventually pursue David, um, and we learn that David's other nephew, remember one of David's nephew, Joab, is the commander of David's army. A different nephew of David, Amasa, is the commander of Absalom's army. So this is a real family feud, a family struggle. In chapter 18, David and his men, they've hunkered down in the city of Maniam, and he sends out his army in three units, three different units, to fight Absalom. And he he commands them, though, um, you know, don't kill Absalom. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Miraculously, David's men end up winning, um, and Joab goes ahead and kills Absalom against David's orders. We're told... Um, this we're told that his motivation in this is to protect David's life and kingship because he's like, Absalom's not going to stop. He's no. not going to stop. He's already gone too far at this point. Yeah. Um, David, re- he gets the news of the victory, but he immediately goes into mourning over Absalom. Yeah. Uh, then in chapter 19, this continues. And so David's in mourning and all of his men are coming back victorious. Like, we've got your kingship back. And David's publicly mourning. And so Joab has to snap David out of it um, for the sake of the fighting men. David realizes that he's right. So he goes down and he right. honors the men that risk their lives do, for do David. Do you hate your friends and love your enemies? Yeah, that's what, yeah, Joab's like, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? These men just all put their life on the line for you. And it's interesting. This is all a direct result, not only of what what he did with Bathsheba, Mm -hmm. all right, but there's also a direct result of his lack of leadership in his own household. Completely. Um, Like, all he had to do was deal with Amnon. Right. And also, I would say, like, even though usually the Bible records, like, linchpin events, Mm -hmm. they don't really show you every little detail that kind of builds up. So, I presumably... His injustice has been brewing for a long time. And David went from someone who has had a really strong sense of justice, as we went over before, to mm-hmm. someone who kind of didn't have a strong sense of justice really much at all and has been making really poor decisions. And that injustice breeds peculiar justice. Yeah. In other words, Absalom 
being raised with this sense of what peculiar justice looks like, you hear the stories of how David was, and then you project those stories onto who David is now, and you're like, okay, so you were just doing whatever you thought was right in your own eyes, not really what God, right? So you then you build up this peculiar sense of justice with an Absalom who says to who says in Second Samuel 15, Oh, that I were the judge in the land, then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. Mm-hmm. Now at the same time, Absalom's doing terrible things behind everyone's back. Mm-hmm. But he's think in his head, he can actually minister justice because David didn't deal with Amnon. Yeah. David didn't deal with all these other issues. And so he's like, you need actual justice here. But again, it's self-motivated and it's not true justice. It's peculiar. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's all it's really a lot of it's selfish ambition. So this is all stupid. When you have someone who uh when you have when you're kind of absolutely sort of set up in a sense, in a really real way, mm-hmm. to to fail, like to morally fail. Uh, and it's, it all starts Definitely. with David's moral failures and his lack of moral perspective and staying strong. But yep. yeah, it's really, and David knows that's and it's guaranteed why he's weeping as heavily. Yeah. He, yeah. he definitely knows that, that it's his issue at this point. And he knows that, you know, he shouldn't have been multiplying wives. Like at this point he knows that he's got prophets of God around him. He's got copies of the word of God. And yeah. it's just, it, it's sad to see, it's always sad to see people having to face the consequences of their actions yes. and their life choices. Um, yeah. 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 Okay. So David gets to go back to Jerusalem because they won the war against Absalom. Um, and when David gets back to Jerusalem, Mephibosheth, the son of David, he's he claims that Ziba double crossed him. Uh, and, and that's interesting how that whole thing played out, if you want to read it for yourself. Okay, so 2 Samuel chapter 20, we've got that uh, Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite, so he is from the tribe of King Saul, he rebels against David. So mm-hmm. we have another rebellion right away. Israel is not satisfied with David's leadership at all. Now, there's unrest because in his return to Jerusalem and return to kingship, David seems to have been favoring his own tribe of Judah in the way that he went about that return. Um, so David tells this man named Amasa, who was uh, Ishbosheth's, or who was Absalom's commander right. of the army, go muster a military force to fight Sheba. Uh, but Amasa does not come back in the allotted time. So David sends Abisha and Joab to quickly go deal with Sheba. Like, you just do it then. Um, when they come across Amasa, Joab kills him. Right. And then goes on to pursue Sheba. Joab does not trust anyone who has ever rebelled against David. This is something we <laughs> yeah. learn very quickly about Joab's personality. He's very loyal. Anyone, yeah, he's loyal, but he's not obedient to David. But he no. is very loyal to David. Um, so when, uh, okay, this is really interesting because Sheba, the rebellion of Sheba, ends up getting squashed by a wise woman. Uh, he holds himself up in a city, and when Joab surrounds it to... He's going to besiege the city and destroy the city. This wise woman's like, where's Joab? Let me talk to Joab. (laughs) So Joab comes forward and they have this conversation. She's like, why would you destroy a mother city in Israel? I'll I'll chop off his head and I'll throw it over the wall. Then will you go home? And he's like, yeah, sounds good to me. (laughs) So that's how they they take out the... uh, the rebellion of Sheba. Okay, chapter 21, there is a three-year famine in Israel that turns out to be God's judgment 
for King Saul breaking a peace treaty that Israel had with with the city of Gibeon. As reparations, the Gibeonites demand the execution, this is brutal, the execution of seven of Saul's grandsons at Gibeon, and David does it. He's like, all right, okay. But spares Jonathan's son. Yes, he does. He spares Mephibosheth. Now, a mother of two of those grandsons of Saul, she stays with the bodies and she protects them because they leave the bodies out in the open because it's supposed to be like a shame on Saul's family. She stays with the bodies and keeps them from being eaten by birds and wild animals. And as a result, David hears about it and he's moved. And so he gives them, along with the bones of Saul uh, and Saul's sons, a proper royal burial. Uh, Then there's various battles and stuff that are accounted for in chapter 21. Chapter 22, this is a song of David that's almost identical to Psalm chapter 18. Now there's theories about why would Psalm 18 be different than this Psalm? And it's possible that it was adjusted a little bit later for use in the temple, right. which is interesting when you read Psalm 18 verses uh, chapter cool. 22. Yeah. Okay, chapter 23. These are David's last words written in the form of a poem. Um, now, obviously, David wasn't a perfect man. I think that's pretty yeah, obvious to reading this. Now. But he was faithful to God, even though he wasn't always obedient to God. He was faithful to God. He did not engage in idolatry in the traditional sense, maybe in arrogance, but not in not in um, the traditional sense. He he stayed true in that way. And what's very key here, not everyone's, I guess, to some degree arrogant, but with David specifically, his arrogance wasn't overtaking him at all points. And he was always repentant. Like he was always would repent. Whereas Eventually, like, yes. <laughs> yes, but even if it had to be shown to him, but yeah. he, he had a desire to repent, mm-hmm. as opposed to a lot of people when they're arrogant, there is no desire to repent because yeah. they're I, right no matter they're what. right no matter what, and that's yeah. the difference here. It's like there's still arrogance, but it's not it's yeah. not been completely taken over. You're not completely consumed with your arrogance. Yeah, David was still willing to bow to the authority of God when push came to shove. Right, and I think that's the important difference there. It's not like David wasn't arrogant, yeah, right, because he was, but yeah. 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 Okay. Chapter 24 of 2 Samuel. This is the last chapter in 2 Samuel. Um, We were told that God was angry with Israel and that he incited David against Israel. So um, essentially, this is is, uh, the sort of thing that that God could have really easily stopped David from doing with one of the prophets. David had a Mm -hmm. lot of prophets around him, and God could have easily stopped David from doing this. But God didn't. He allowed David to just do this because God wanted to bring a judgment upon Israel, which is a really interesting thought. Right. Uh, but that's that's what the chapter talks about. So David, as a result, he conducts an unlawful census of the fighting men. And interestingly, Joab tries to stop David. Um, and the army commanders also tried to stop David. But David won because ultimately he was the king and his word right. was law. So God gives David, through the prophet Gad, options for the punishment for taking the census. Three years of famine on the land, three months of losing in battle, or three days of plague. So God, David defers this decision to God. Um, he takes battle, uh, three months of losing battle. He takes that off the table and he goes, God, you decide between the famine or the plague. Um 
and God chooses plague. And then David asks God for the punishment to fall on him and his family instead of all Israel. So David is then given instructions to build an altar to God on the fleshing floor, the threshing, threshing floor of a man named Aruna. Um, so David buys it. He builds on it and then he sacrifices on this altar. And that's what ultimately stops the plague. Mm. So God starts the plague, but then he gives David a way to stop it. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens. All right. First Kings, we're going to do the first seven chapters here. So first Kings chapter one, we learn about David's advanced age. So he's getting old um, and his his health is failing. So he's starting to die of natural causes. He can't stay warm. So um, then we also learned that David's fourth born son, whose name is Adonijah, uh, he wanted to be king and he hired uh, a private military entourage, essentially, mm -hmm. to proclaim his intentions to be king while David was still alive. So this is very bold. And we're told David didn't do anything about it. So Adonijah gets Joab and Abiathar the priest to back him up, which is amazing because they were loyal to David. Mm -hmm. So David's dying. He's probably not making a whole lot of sense. And Adon Adonijah sets himself up as king and David doesn't do anything. So they're like, all right, I guess we're doing this. I guess right. Adonijah like, seemed like a good choice. Adonijah goes through this whole ceremony where he invites all the king's sons and officials. Uh, but he does not invite David's bodyguard, um, Nathan the prophet, or Solomon. Yeah. Because he they kind of secretly knew David's intentions that Solomon would be king. Right. Um, so because of his omissions, we know that Adonijah knew it was against David's wishes. And so likely Joab and Abiathar, the priest, also knew that, right. that Adonijah wasn't David's first choice, but they clearly thought Adonijah was the best choice. Um, Nathan has Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, go to David and confront him. And David then starts moving things along. So he orders Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet to anoint Solomon king instead. And they have this ceremony, not, you know, not at Hebron, uh, not anywhere else, but there at Jerusalem. So Solomon becomes king. Now, Adonijah is not a rebel like Absalom. He hears that David holds his own private coronation ceremony for Solomon. And instantly, Adonijah's like, I'm not starting a civil war. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, fine. I won't be king. Yeah. Fine. And he runs and grabs on to the horns of the altar. So he's like, I'm safe. I'm going to ask for right. mercy. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 2, David charges Solomon first to be obedient to God but then also to make sure that he kills Joab, that he kills Shimei, that guy who had cursed David on his way out of Jerusalem, <laughs> where David's like, I won't kill you. God will kill you. And then it's like, here, just kidding. My son's going to kill yeah. you, right? Uh, <clears throat> so either these are grudges that David knew he had no right to deal with himself, so he right. wanted Solomon to do, or Perhaps he saw them as potential threats to Solomon's throne. Right. And perhaps rightly. Right. Yeah, perhaps right. rightly, because Joab had backed Adonijah at this right. point. Okay. Solomon ends up killing Adonijah 
for requesting to marry the woman who had kept David warm. Right. So Adonijah initially gets off the hook where he grabs the horns of the altar and Solomon's like, fine, I won't kill you. But later on, when Adonijah asks to marry this girl, Solomon's like, and now your true intentions are revealed and I'm going to kill you. Right. So it's a, it's a subtle power play. Well, I guess not so subtle, but yeah. yeah. Subtle, not so subtle, buddy. <laughs> buddy, what is that? Yeah. What is that? Yeah, because by marrying this wife of David that was never, the, the wedding was never consummated or anything like that, he potentially had another claim to the throne of David. And right. he was he was older than Solomon. Right. So he had a decent claim mm. to the throne of Solomon, and it was through a legitimate wife of David. Right. Rough stuff. Okay. Um. Solomon then banishes Abiathar the priest for backing Adonijah rather than him. And Joab, seeing the writing on the wall, he also runs to the altar and grabs the horns of the altar. And um, Solomon sends men to the altar, uh, to the tent tabernacle, and they yell into Joab. The king says, come out. And Joab goes, no, I will die here. Right. This is one thing that I I think I said this last year too, but this is one thing that I love about Joab. He's like, no, God is my judge. I will die in the presence of God. Right. I love that about like there's Joab, Joab, man, he gets a bad rap, but I kind of like this guy. <laughs> Not saying he wasn't brutal, but I kind of yeah. like this guy. So um also this is probably a test to see whether Solomon will actually desecrate the tent tabernacle. Right. Will he actually desecrate the altar of God? And the answer is Yes, Solomon does not care. He has Joab killed and it desecrates the altar of sacrifice, which is brutal. Right. Solomon kills Shimei, not right away, but eventually, that mm. guy who insulted David. Um, it's pretty elusive. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then we're told that the kingdom of Israel was then firmly established in Solomon's right. hands. So he killed out all the potential competition. Mm made himself scary enough that no one was going to go against him, stuff like that. Right. Brutal, but it but it happens. But it happens. Okay. First Kings chapter 3, Solomon makes, it, as one of his first acts of king, he makes a mistake. He makes an allegiance with Egypt uh, that was solidified through marriage, which is how things were generally done. So he marries the king of Egypt's daughter, um, Solomon sacrifices to God at the city of Gibeon, where the altar of Moses was, the one that the Israelites built in the wilderness. God appears and Solomon asks for wisdom. Uh, and then we're given an example of how God fulfilled that, how God gave Solomon right. wisdom. That's in chapter three. Chapter four, we get the chief officials of Solomon being listed. We get uh, um, we get a record of how rich Solomon was and descriptions of his wisdom. So how many proverbs he wrote, how many songs he wrote, that he loved exploring things like plant life and animal life and, and things like that. Right. Chapter five, um, we learned that Hiram, the king of Tyre, who was an ally of David, also becomes an ally of Solomon. Solomon sources the wood that he needs to build the temple and yeah. his own giant palace in yeah, Jerusalem right. uh, from Tyre. Chapter 6, we're told that in the 480th year after Israel had come out of Egypt in the Exodus, which is also the fourth year of King Solomon, Solomon began to build the temple in Jerusalem. We're given a description of the temple and that it took seven years to build. Mm. And finally, the last chapter, there's a record that it took Solomon 
13 years to build his own palace. <laughs> so it was way bigger. But that makes sense. It was it probably also functioned as a public building. Normally palaces did right. back then. So there would have been like a public uh, building section of it and then a private living area section for him and the many people that he collected. Um, he also built a secondary palace outside of the city of Jerusalem for Pharaoh's daughter. Um, yeah. And then, and then we're told a little bit more about the temple's bronze work and, and the articles yes. for the temple. That and he, like, he even used like counterweights. He did, they said there wasn't a single like nail or hammer heard when they were like building some of these buildings. Yeah, so yes. like Solomon had a real understanding of architecture as well, mm -hmm. which is, and it, it kept identifying Solomon as being the basically the person responsible for this idea for how to build it. Yes. So it's really interesting that like, wisdom is is a really wide way to put it. When you have you know he's a political leader, he's an economic leader, right? He's studying animals, plants and animals, right? He's knows architect, knows how to build things like extremely well and uniquely. Anyway, it's just interesting. Yeah, he definitely benefited from David's uh, kingdom. Yes. In that David really secured peace by the end of his reign. And then Solomon yeah. comes in and he's able then to not be a king of warfare, but to be a king of something else. That's to right. To be known for well, something I, else. I, I think that's what's interesting, too, is like when you're in times of peace, there's more time to really understand things. Mm -hmm. There's more time to study, to learn, uh, to, to develop your sense of wisdom. Whereas like when you're in times of war and conflict, you're kind of just going on gut intuition half the time. And there's not necessarily always time to really think things through, yeah. say, even yeah. morally in a moral level, right? Uh, so yeah, that's it is interesting, and it's we're beginning Solomon's life. Well, I guess, yeah, I guess I was saying, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's going to end soon. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to end soon. But, yeah. Not going to last terribly long. <laughs> no, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but more on that next week. Put your comments and questions down below, and we'll get to them as soon as we can. Uh, I hope you're really enjoying uh, Kings, and I hope you enjoyed Second Samuel. Let us know, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.